With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning. I am your host, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, are you ready to talk about Minnesota football for maybe 22 minutes? Is there a preview that we've done this season that I think we've cared less about than this one? <laughs> no, I had more about I had more to say about Tulane than I do oh, Minnesota. Because at least Tulane has like the uniforms. I guess Minnesota has PJ Fleck, and that's kind of interesting. I like PJ Fleck. Yeah, I I don't have an issue with PJ Fleck. I, I'm kind of weirded out by the like having. Uh, ors on their helmets thing but I, I guess everybody has to have something and that's his thing but yeah it's it's really <laughs> it's really not a, a super interesting game Minnesota's I guess a pretty boring team well I can guarantee that this episode will be less angry than the last episode of the podcast <laughs> yeah. we did make sure if you want to listen to that go to soundcloud.com slash land also find that episode this episode and all the other episodes of The Hangout in the Holy Land on Apple Podcasts. Just search The Hangout in the Holy Land and follow us on Twitter at Holy Land Pod. So like we said, we are here to preview Ohio State's game with Minnesota. And I don't really think we got to do too much of a deep dive into this. But before we, we get into the game, I want to talk about the history of this. Because Minnesota is one of those Big Ten teams, maybe the most Big Ten team where it feels like Ohio State never plays them. Ohio State's 44-7 and all-time against Minnesota. This is only the 11th meeting since 2000. The last Minnesota win was that 2000 game. Glenn Mason was their coach. They won 29-17. to Ohio State's won nine straight since then. Uh, Minnesota, only three wins in this series since 1966. So not a, not a lot going for Minnesota in this series. What's your biggest memory or like what, what's your what is your history of Ohio State, Minnesota? What can you remember? Well, um, that I actually saw like live, probably the JT Barrett run where it just kept looking like he was going to get caught and he never did. And it was like the slowest 86 yard touchdown run I've ever seen. And that game was just miserable. I think that was the 2014 season. It was extremely cold, and both teams didn't want to be there. From researching that 1995 article that I put out a couple months ago, Terry Glenn's diving catch against Minnesota, that actually he got hurt on the play. But he, he dove to catch a, a longer pass, and it was one of the more impressive catches he made that season, which is really saying something because he had a lot of uh, just wild catches in 1995. So probably those two, one from actually watching live, one from researching the season. Yeah, we had somebody, we had a couple people on Twitter mention 
that play also had uh, some people mention the JT Barrett where it looked like he was not going very fast on the 86-yard yeah. <laughs> touchdown. We had Smailtronics say the Greg Fry-led comeback of 19. 19- 89 he was listening on the radio and went running down the street screaming to the neighbors after they won i can most assure everybody and smell that is the last time you will ever do that when it comes to ohio state playing minnesota (laughs) jack nicholas dotting the eye was something patrick beck brought to our attention here in 2006 i definitely remember that it was only like the second or third time a non-band member had dotted the eye uh, Kirk Herbstreet's run in 1991, the option run where he broke like six tackles. It was like the uh, poor man's Tommy Frazier. And <laughs> I think it was a 72-yard run, and then he kind of did his cocky little dance and flipped the ball uh, to the official. My favorite one, or not favorite one, but the one I remember the most was the Minnesota assistant eating the ice cream bar. Yeah, yeah, we got a couple of those. <laughs> <laughs> In that 2014 game, there were a couple of really great moments in that game, but that was the one that like took the internet by storm, where he was just eating an ice cream bar in literally like the middle of a blizzard. That's a classic one. Ted Ginn, kick return in 2005. We got a couple people saying that one. I really missed the Metrodome. I don't know why, but I, mean, I know this game isn't on the road. It's in the horseshoe, but... I always used to love when Ohio State would go into the Metrodome and beat those dudes by like 35. Yeah, yeah, the Metrodome was a a cool place to see a football game. Jeez, my throat is not in a good place today. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the history of this series, it um I was a little surprised when I saw you send out the uh, the call for people's memories of this game because it took a while for me to come up with, with one. You, you know what, though? As soon as I started doing it, there were, like, bits and pieces of stuff that I remembered because what do you remember the Brian Robisky touchdown catch in 2007? Uh, no, like, not specifically. And by 2007 standards, we'll link that in, in the piece. By 2007 standards, it was a really great catch, and I remember it might have been, like, SportsCenter number one. And it was still it's still a really good catch, but after everything we see each week, like one handed grabs, it definitely does not stand the test of time. <laughs> but it was a really good it was a really good catch. I would encourage everybody to go look at it. We'll link to it. And um we had one person mention this. I thought everybody forgot and I was just gonna have this low key I don't know if gem is the right word, because it's definitely not good, but Ray Small yeah. <laughs> getting trucked by Dominic Jones in the 2006 game like he looked like he died and that one and i i did not even remember that it was ray small i thought it was chris vance but yeah that was freshman ray small and we'll link to that too if you haven't seen that play ray small gets he looks like he gets run over by a truck <laughs> the um i think the jesus yeah i just watched that video he did get just crushed i had forgotten <laughs> he got about, yeah i had forgotten about that also a very weird formation that they ran that play out of I, I think that the main thing that people should think about when they think minnesota is um if you look up minnesota awful uniforms on um on google the the first thing that comes up is i think some of the worst football uniforms any sport really uh that i've ever seen they've got um so it's like the two big 
M's, like the block M's on their chest, and then there's like a stripe connecting them, and it goes all the way around the uniform, and it's just, it's just horrible. <laughs> I'm gonna be straight up. Those might be my favorite uniforms ever. God. I'm all in favor of terrible uniforms. Ugh. The uglier the uniform, the better. Uh, on that 2006 game, do you remember when Troy Smith ran for a touchdown? And that game, and everybody had been like clamoring for it because they never ran him that season, and he finally scrambled for a touchdown, and everybody just went like absolutely nuts. They were like, <laughs> "Troy Smith still has it. Yes, our dual, our the dual threat QB has logged on." Uh, is that what the is that what's going to happen if Dwayne Haskins ever houses a run this year? <laughs> I think that would be the equivalent is if he scrambles for a touchdown in this game. A comment we got. The other week, and I I should have called you out on. I debated it mid mid podcast, but I didn't. But this gentleman, I don't have his at in front of me uh, right now. You called Antonio Pittman decent, and mm-hmm. in that game, he rushed for 21, 21 carries, one hundred sixteen yards, and two touchdowns. I will maintain Antonio Pittman very good, very underrated, and uh, had a big game in that two thousand sixteen or two thousand six game. Fend for yourself here. <laughs> Fend for your comments. You're wrong. You're wrong and inaccurate comments about Antonio Pittman. I, I think that the thing that happened to Antonio Pittman was some real unfortunate timing with when he was at Ohio State. Because if I remember correctly, and I'm my memory of run, of Ohio State running backs might be jumbled here, but he came he came after a couple pretty bad years of running backs. I think it was like Lydell Ross and. Uh, Maurice Wells was there and it was just it was a bunch of um, relatively inefficient backs and that was after Maurice Claret so we were we had been kind of waiting under Trestle to see if like hey does this guy know how to recruit running backs and then Antonio Pittman came in and he was really good but then Beanie Wells was immediately after him and I, I think it's um it's kind of a case of uh, Beanie Wells was really damn good, and Antonio Pittman really couldn't couldn't really keep up with that, and it was it was pretty easy to uh, not forget Pittman, but kind of put him aside and and watch Beanie Wells for two years, and um, I, I think that Pittman was very valuable to the the teams that he was on. I think he was on that 2006 team that went to the the national championship game, but I, I think he was that, the only player that did anything worth a note in that game. Yeah. He had a nice touchdown. Run. Well, he was the only one that wasn't hung over. <laughs> um, I remember hearing a story that that week, those guys had gotten out there and all they did was eat in and out. Yeah. I think that was a former player. That was, that may have been Kirk Barton that, uh, that said that. Yeah. Not, not good, but yeah. Kirk Barton, Kirk Barton probably said that on the stand at one of his trials. <laughs> Oh, Jesus, that's that's how we're starting this podcast. I'll accept that as a retraction on Antonio Pittman, though. And he was like the only non-flashy player on that whole team. Like you had Ted Ginn, Santonio Holmes, even Troy Smith was flashy. Like Justin Zwick, the Flash God. <laughs> Justin Zwick, Ryan Hamby, the flashiest tight end of all time, and then you just had Antonio Pittman here. I always. I always have a soft spot in my heart for uh, for Antonio Pittman. And the last memory that I can really say that stands out to me, Von Bell, the pick six in 2015 in a game where 8-0 third-ranked Ohio State was scoreless and it tied 0-0 with five minutes left in the second quarter against that Minnesota 4-4 Minnesota team. 
If you want to know what a that Minnesota recap would have been like, go listen to the recap we just did of the Indiana game, just inverse, talking about the offense. Yeah, I think it might have actually been worse. <laughs> that was bad. Yeah, because that was the second straight year that Ohio State really struggled with Minnesota because in, in 2014 it was the 31-24 game. And that game wasn't actually as close as the final score indicated, if I remember right. Minnesota. Yeah, they scored. were up thirty-one to seven or thirty-one fourteen. Thirty-one fourteen. Like yeah, yeah. And Minnesota scored two later, not a touchdown in the field goal to to cut it to uh, seven. But yeah, Minnesota historically, as you mentioned, they don't really beat Ohio State, but kind of like Indiana, they just they just hang around. Looking at their their stat profile this year. I think it's pretty fair to expect that they'll just hang around um, because if there's if there's really one way to concisely describe Minnesota is that their defense is really good and their offense is optional. They really, really do not like to score. And their defense actually hasn't been that great the last couple of weeks. They gave up 42 to Maryland and 48 to Iowa which is <laughs> not great. You don't want you don't want to do that one. That's not good. But the first three games of the season, they looked really good. They've looked less good in the last two games of the season. I believe that they're without Antoine Winfield Jr., who was like the best player on their team. Um, I think I saw that he had a season-ending injury. But yeah, their defense will probably give Ohio State a little bit of trouble, but it's, it's probably not even going to be as as close as the Indiana game was. How do you give up 40-plus to Iowa and still <laughs> be the second-ranked marginal efficiency team on defense in the country? Their offense must have put them in some really bad spots. Their offense scored 31 points. I'll give them credit for that. How, how are they 16th in defensive S&P Plus? <laughs> giving up 40 to Iowa? Like, none of this. And I have no you can't idea. point to the special teams because their special teams is third in S&P Plus. Like, what what is going on here? Yeah, they've given up ninety points in the last two games <laughs> to Maryland and Iowa. That was really the only thing that I was gonna stake to in this preview is talking about how Minnesota's defense has been good, but yeah, they've given up forty plus the last two weeks to Maryland and Iowa. So what's what's to stop Ohio State from scoring fifty plus in this game? I really don't. Other than other than Ohio State's <laughs> offensive staff. Yeah, I think Ohio. Anything Minnesota does. <laughs> um, anything Minnesota does. Well, their defense actually isn't all that good against explosiveness, but they're much better against efficient offenses. And Ohio State's offense isn't particularly explosive, uh, but they are very efficient. Obviously, they have some some bigger pass plays. I think if there's a part of this offense that is explosive, it's uh, Dwayne Haskins. But like running the ball, Minnesota really struggles with with rush defense explosiveness, and that's I don't think going to be a huge issue for them here because I don't think Ohio State's super capable of that. But they're better against passing explosiveness, and that if there's anything that their defense can can really do against Ohio State, it'll be that they can they can stuff them and uh, and kind of force Ohio State to make bigger plays. That's that's pretty much it for with their defenses. They might be able to to call Ohio State to get a little bit behind the stat, the sticks at times and, and force them into passing downs, which Ohio State is not really great in. If only Ohio State had a receiver that could make big plays down the CJ field. CJ Saunders. This, <laughs> this game definitely sets up in theory to be some something where 
a guy like Benjamin Victor, who we've talked about endlessly here, can make a lot of plays. Also, I think a lot's going to be put on the receivers, KJ Hill in particular, on those crossing routes. Like, hey, you guys need to make you need to make some people miss, and I think you make one guy miss, and that's where the big plays can happen. And we saw that with Paris Campbell last week too. So maybe a lot of short throws catch and run opportunities and if those guys are breaking tackles if they're not going deep down the field to a guy like victor that's how the explosive plays are going to have to be generated yeah i think if ohio state wants to take advantage of what um minnesota isn't great at on defense because i think the run defense is actually really good um and ohio state's run offense is not particularly good but without antoine winfield in the backfield this Minnesota defensive backfield is not particularly good at stopping the pass. So I think Ohio State really needs to come into this with the mindset of, like, yes, we can run J.K. Dobbins, we can run Mike Weber a little bit, but it needs to be a, a healthy heaping of, of Dwayne Haskins and of the, the wide receivers, especially <clears throat> not just with underneath stuff, but throwing down the field, throwing to... Benjamin Victor down the field, throwing to Johnny Dixon down the field, getting Paris Campbell open in space, because the the front seven on Minnesota's defense is actually pretty good, um, but that that back four is gonna have a lot of issues, I think. I'd like to see them really just from the jump, kind of air it out, and if you want to loosen up what Minnesota can do in the front seven, that's probably the best way to start is by airing it out, getting a couple scores and then you can start to lean on the run game over under 160 yards rushing for Ohio State. I don't have I, I, I don't have a great frame of reference for what Ohio State has been around to this point in the season just because I don't really remember. Um, probably under, I think. How concerning would that be if they go under? <laughs> well, if it was a, I mean, Minnesota's defense is legitimately good at stopping the run. I think that that's something that needs to be at least taken into account when considering like is this really bad news that Ohio State can't run on Minnesota is that Minnesota's a I mean they're a Big 10 team they're a Power 5 team they do have guys on their team that can play defense it's certainly not great <laughs> if they if they can't run the ball particularly well on what is not an elite defense um, that that doesn't bode well for like the Michigan State game or the Michigan game, although we, we keep bringing up Michigan State as a, a threat. To this point, I think Michigan State might just stink. Their defense is, is pretty good, though. But if Ohio State can't run on Minnesota, I think it just kind of confirms what we already thought, that maybe the running game just isn't very good this year, and this, this is going to just have to be a passing team. So I, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. It would just kind of confirm our, our suspicions. Here are the last four weeks versus TCU. 42 carries, 182 yards. That's not good. <laughs> it's about to get worse. Tulane, 38 carries, 151 yards. Penn State, 37 for 119. Indiana, 48 for 154. Yeah. Ohio State's uh, rushing marginal efficiency is 52nd. Their explosiveness is 97th. It's, it's not good. They're 66th in stuff rate. And I think it'd be much worse if they didn't have somebody like J.K. Dobbins who can just kind of dance around back there. It's it's not a great it's not a great group this year. Just the the line paired with these 
these running backs it's not a great fit and the east west run calls too for yeah. a line that yeah. isn't doing a lot they're having weber and dobbins that is are having to make a lot of guys miss like two yards behind the line of scrimmage while they are going horizontally and not vertically and that's not a good recipe last three weeks ohio state under three yards per carry which I would have to go back and look. I know I said something on five on it last week, but I don't think it's ever happened three times in a row under uh, Urban Meyer. So definitely we talked about the defense a lot, but that is a massive issue for this offense right now is being able to run the ball consistently right now. And with how Minnesota's defense stacks up, it's hard to predict that it's going to change this week. Yeah, I really, I don't think that they're even going to really try it all that much. I'm I'm hoping that the coaching staff knows a little bit better than that and, and knows their their roster and knows what Minnesota's good at. I mean, Iowa knew that, and Iowa really doesn't change much of anything. And they were smart enough to, to figure out, like, hey, we really, I don't think, need to run on these guys too much. We can we can kind of air it out. I mean, it looks like Iowa threw for 314 yards, which is not not their usual st- standard of, of what they do. But it's, you know, it's really, it's the kind of team where Ohio State has to prove that they know that they're a passing team. And I'm not super confident in that. So Minnesota's offense has 16 plays of 20 plus yards this season. That's 123rd in the nation. They only have two plays of greater than 40 yards. There are only three teams in the country with less how many 20 plus yard plays will they have you said they had 16 on the year 16 on the year there's only seven teams with less five five in this game yeah yeah it's not good it's a really bad it's a really really bad defense Ohio State has got right now that would be a lot and that would be well they gave up what 11 to Indiana 11 yeah 11 chunk plays I don't know if it was 11 20 plus yard plays but eight running plays of over 10 yards and three passing plays or eight passing plays of over 15 and three running plays of over 10. So not great, but I think this would be even more alarming and like DEFCON five of like, wow, you are giving up big plays to Minnesota. There's literally nowhere, almost nowhere worse to go when it comes to giving up big. Yeah. A definitively bad offense. If there is anybody on this Oklahoma offense that, or this Minnesota offense, geez, uh, on this Minnesota offense that does give Ohio State. One of those is not like the yeah. other. <laughs> well, one of them lost to Texas. Um, <laughs> but if there True. is anything Facts. about this Minnesota offense that can give Ohio State some trouble, quarterback Zach Anexted seems to be getting better as the season goes on. He's a true freshman. I believe he was actually a walk-on, which is not great I, I was a little bit concerned <laughs> with that decision but he's not terrible his completion rate isn't particularly good he's really not all that good at anything but he's a young guy and young guys can kind of do weird stuff sometimes against Ohio State especially against a defense that isn't very good but I, I, I think it could be kind of a repeat of like what the the Rutgers game turned into where they bring a a freshman quarterback in against a defense that isn't very good and the defense that isn't very good can still kind of make him look silly because he's a freshman quarterback. He's not particularly good to this point. And I don't think that Oklahoma or that geez, Minnesota, (laughs) I got Oklahoma on the brain. I don't think that Minnesota's offensive line is really going to be able to stop 
Ohio State's defensive line, even if Ohio State's defensive line hasn't been particularly good the last couple of weeks. I mean, Chase Young was good against Penn State, but they they really didn't do a ton against Indiana, and I, I think that they could give Minnesota some, some trouble up front. I have nothing else written down <laughs> for this game. So what, what what's your prediction? What, what do you think is going to happen? What are a couple of uh, keys, and what do you want to see? Well, I think if Ohio State's defense can just not give up a bunch of big plays, which you'd think would be pretty doable against what is pretty obviously not a good offense, and P.J. Fleck is a pretty creative play caller, but we haven't seen that from him as much at, at Minnesota as we did at Western Michigan. So just keeping the the big plays to a minimum, getting some of their own big plays, being able to understand what Minnesota does well and, and exploit what they don't do well would be, I think, what I'm looking for. I'm assuming Ohio State does at least part of that. I'm not super confident in the defense being good enough to keep Minnesota from 10, 17 points, something like that. But I think Ohio State's offense will be able to figure it out pretty quickly. So I think I'm going 49-10 Ohio State. I'm in the same type of region and think that if they're able to just understand that they can just air it out to start the game, that'll open up so much more when it comes to the running game. And I think we'll see a bit more of an even performance from the offense. I know Minnesota's been good against the run, but I don't think they'll be as bad as they were last week against Indiana where they were just able to get no push. I think they're a little more consistent in part because they can stretch the defense out you know, through the deep to intermediate portions of the field. Dwayne Haskins has another big day, and we see some improvement from the run game. And it's just hard to believe that Minnesota, despite Ohio State's deficiencies on defense, that Minnesota is going to be able to generate just big play after big play just based off of the talent or lack thereof when compared to Ohio State. And if they do, then we're <laughs> we're ranting for another 45 come Sunday night. But you said 49-10. I think 43-17 to 17 Minnesota, Minnesota scores a touchdown late against the backups, and this one's a relative snoozer and goes down in the history books as another game where we're like, oh, yeah, that happened against Minnesota, but nothing really stands out. Let's talk about college football this weekend, what's what's going on this weekend, because I think it might be blood week time. I think that week seven is blood week. Give it to me, because I'm making the pilgrimage to go see LaVisca Chenault, and I am not watching any other game. I'll be at the Coliseum watching uh, USC and CU. Thursday, Texas Tech at TCU is legitimately good football. TCU is good. Texas Tech seems to be pretty good. That TCU defense against Texas Tech's offense is uh, interesting. Friday, there's not much. Air Force at San Diego State might be kind of interesting. Do not watch Arizona-Utah. Saturday at noon is when Ohio State's playing, so I'm guessing most people listening will be watching that. Tennessee-Auburn is kind of a funny anxiety game because the loser of that game is going to be real upset, especially if it's Auburn. Iowa-Indiana I have kind of a weird interest in just to just to kind of gawk, see what happens there. But the, the noon slate isn't particularly interesting. Pitt's going to get Notre Dame at 2.30. They will win that game. Notre Dame <laughs> is doomed. There's no way they can get past Pitt. Um, that takes us into 3.30. Any of those games sound any kind of interesting? Ah, uh, the early ones. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's not a good slate. No, not really. <laughs> 
I think it's definitely worth keeping an eye on Pitt and Notre Dame, just given Pitt's history. And Notre Dame is at that point now where we think they've turned the corner with Ian Book, but they have to be able to beat teams like Pitt and not only that, but beat them soundly for me to be like, okay, Notre Dame is here and they're going to make a run. Speaking of teams that we don't quite trust until they beat teams that they're supposed to beat, Texas plays Baylor at 3.30. I'm I'm not all in on Texas yet. I don't, I don't buy it until they can beat teams like Baylor, teams like Oklahoma State. And that's, that's their two games until they play uh, West Virginia. I'm pretty interested in the, the Big 12 this year. Uh, the 3.30 slate is just loaded. Uh, Georgia at LSU, that's a very good game on CBS. Michigan State at Penn State is less good now than it was a week ago, but still pretty interesting. Texas A&M at South Carolina, I'm really I'm not super sure that South Carolina is any good, but Texas A&M is pretty fun to watch. UCF at Memphis is another one of those that was a little bit more exciting before Memphis went and got smacked by Tulane, but UCF's really good. Washington at Oregon, I have no idea why this isn't a night game, but that's pretty much the Pac-12 North right there. I, I don't think that Stanford has much left in them, and... Washington is is not great, so Oregon might be able to get them there at home. But it seems like pretty much every game of the day that's interesting is on at two thirty, which is or three thirty, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah, I really like Wisconsin, Michigan, because this is the time now where this is really a make or break game for a lot. Uh, definitely Michigan's playoff hopes, and I think the biggest test of what they are and what they're going to be. Wisconsin's loss to BYU continue. It just looks baffling in retrospect now. BYU just got smacked by Utah State. They're definitely a lot better than they played in that game. This one's in uh, Ann Arbor. Michigan's favored by seven and a half right now. It's going to be really close. This is that game they played. What was it? Was it last year or two years ago where it was 13 to 10? I think this has all the makings of another one of those games like that where whoever just makes one more play is going to win that game. So I'm super uh, intrigued to see how that one shakes out. I think Miami UVA could be interesting given that it's at UVA. Miami's only a six point favorite. I'm curious to see how many yards Missouri can put up on Alabama. That game won't be close at all. Alabama could score like 85 if they wanted to through three quarters, but their defense has looked a little bit uneven and all the luster of that Michigan state Penn state game has really washed off. That is a game I was looking forward to. And now not so much, but the game of the day is probably Washington and Oregon. Oregon can really reassert themselves after that loss to Stanford. And it's a shame they lost that game because this I think would have much more spice to it. And it probably should be the, uh, the night game. But like you said, it's for the PAC 12 North essentially and this is a moment for I think both teams Oregon can kind of creep back up into the national consciousness and Washington everybody can kind of be like oh shit yeah that's right they are legitimately a playoff contender regardless of how you feel about the the, uh, Pac-12 yeah I think Washington Oregon and Georgia LSU are probably my picks for most interesting game of the day which is a bummer because they're on at the exact same time the, the night slate you mentioned, Wisconsin-Michigan, I think that that'll be interesting. I don't think it'll be particularly fun to watch because neither of those teams play a brand of football that's super enjoyable. 
But also in that night slate, you mentioned Miami, Virginia. I think that that's secretly pretty good. It's better than Missouri, Alabama, which is the the main ESPN game. I think if Drew Locke was actually what people say that he is, that game would be more interesting. But he stinks, so it won't be. Don't watch UCLA Cal. That's a terrible football game. Don't watch Virginia Tech, North Carolina. West Virginia might get upset at Iowa State. Iowa State does some really weird things at home. And West Virginia really hasn't played anybody quite yet. Nightcap, like the late night games. Hawaii-BYU is super interesting. I think Hawaii might dominate BYU. I think BYU might be just about done this year. Boise State-Nevada. Boise State should win that game. You are going to Colorado-USC. I think that that one should be one of the best Pac-12 after dark games. I think I'm... I'm not super sold on USC, but Colorado's undefeated. It's still a test. It's still at USC. That should be a good answer to the question of, is Colorado good? We don't know. And then Wyoming, Fresno State's pretty pretty decent. Wyoming's not very good, but Fresno State is. So pretty good week. I, I think in general, it's a, it's a pretty good week of football, especially that 330 slate. Yeah, and this starts to be where teams are just going to lose inexplicably. We saw it a little bit. Last week when a couple teams went down, and now I think we may see it going forward every single week because this is this is that time of the year where just conference play, you end up on the road against a team you never think you lose to, Iowa, and it just kind of happens. Houston, Houston at East Carolina. <laughs> that's, that's my pick for, um, oh, wait, we have to play at East Carolina? What? And then you lose by 10. East Carolina sucks, but Houston, I think, might get got in that game. But, yeah, it's definitely as we get further into conference play, you'll see more and more games like that where it's just kind of inexplicable losses. I think Virginia Tech might have one of those this week against North Carolina. North Carolina's not any good, but Virginia Tech coming off a, a tough loss, and they're in kind of a weird spot with their defense. So I, I think that that'll all contribute to blood week. I, I think that this is going to be the week where a bunch of top teams go down. I could see Georgia losing at LSU. I could see Penn State getting beat by uh, by Michigan State. I don't expect it by any means, but I could certainly I could see it. I could see Texas getting beat by Baylor, which would be really funny. You know, Washington losing to Oregon. I think all of that's pretty possible. West Virginia, Iowa State. There's there's a lot of a lot of upset potential on this this schedule, and that's really exciting. How about Mike Stoops, man? We talked about it on the recap, and Lincoln Riley he he made the call. Yeah. He he got it done. I, I think that it was actually the um, I think it was the boosters <laughs> that got it done. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> could this be their Virginia Tech moment? Do you think where that game was just so ugly, and I know Ohio State didn't fire anybody, but that loss was kind of the turning point for that team. And you just figure with Ruffin McNeil as their new defensive coordinator, there's no way that defense can't improve. And it's not like they have to be one of the best in the country. Like, even if they suck, they might be able to win at least the, the Big 12 title and go to the playoff again. Like, they don't even have to be good. They can be bad, and that'll be a massive improvement. Yeah, I, I think that um, I think Oklahoma is still – a playoff contender. I think Texas is a playoff contender. I think West Virginia is a playoff contender. But I, I think that the Big 12 and the the Pac 12 really need to need to hope that Notre Dame loses to to Pitt or to somebody because um, 
I think Alabama and Georgia are both probably going to get into the playoff, seeing how things are going. And Clemson and Ohio State seem very likely as well. So it, it really is like the the Big 12 and the Pac-12 need one of those SEC teams to, to lose a couple times, and they need Notre Dame to not be so good. Because I don't know if a Big 12 champion with one loss gets in over an undefeated Notre Dame. So I, I don't know if the Big 12 really controls their destiny right now, unless it's West Virginia. Pac-12 certainly doesn't, unless Colorado wins out, which I don't, <laughs> I don't expect. It's possible, but I don't expect it. So I think that's pretty much where Oklahoma's at right now is that they need to they need to keep winning their games. They need their defense to be improved. I'm not sure how improved it could possibly be because the talent that they have is the talent that they have. But Mike Stoops's scheme is just awful, and Ruff and McNeil can't possibly be that bad, uh, like you said. So I, I think that I think Oklahoma needs to just kind of focus on winning games right now. They need to beat West Virginia when they play them. They need to to win the games against the best teams and, and hope that Notre Dame and maybe Georgia fall a couple times. Are we going to get out of here before the 45-minute mark? Is it actually possible on this podcast? It looks like it. We'll, we'll spend six minutes on the outro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I got nothing else, man. This is a much more subdued episode than, uh, than the last one we recorded. I feel like if you play Super Smash Bros., we were Samus. And we were just firing up that big ass beam. We were charging it up and finally let it go. And now we're we got to build up the rage again. That's what Pitt does when they. <laughs> that is what Pitt does. Yeah, when they lose their first six games and then beat Notre Dame. <laughs> That's, I don't they get think they're actually zero six, but yeah, they get one. They load up their super weapon and then they shoot Notre Dame right in the face. <laughs> on that note, we are going to exit out here on the hangout in the Holy Land. I might go play some Super Smash Bros. right now. I got it. I, I'm looking at my 64. Cartridge is in the 64. I might do that. Um, you, should, you should do that. I support that. That's a that's the best way to spend a Tuesday. Um, but we hope you have enjoyed spending your Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever you're listening to this podcast with us. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, search Hangout in the Holy Land. We are there. We are also on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Land, And we are on Twitter, at HolyLandPod. Find us at all those places. Find us at LandGrantHolyLand.com. And the site is on Twitter at LandGrant33. And finally, Patrick and I are on Twitter. Patrick is at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. And I am at Dubsco. Less than 40 minutes. We finally did it. Thank you, Minnesota, it. for being so bland and so boring. <laughs> Mission for letting accomplished. Us, for letting <laughs> us get out of here. We really appreciate it. Keep rowing that boat, PJ Fleck. PJ Fleck, come on the podcast. Yeah, PJ Fleck, next uh, Minnesota preview. That's how we need to do it. And just give In him six like a, years when Ohio State plays Minnesota again. The next time, six years from now, we need that uh, row the boat infomercial from PJ Fleck. Yeah, but until next Michigan time. head coach PJ Fleck. Jesus. <laughs> All right, I'm getting us out of here, man. For Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. This is the Hangout in the Holy Land. We will catch you next time.